Tinajana Salakaya Chakshun Militanye Natasma Shri Gurave Namaha Vantikopatu Bhischa Kripasindu Bhivacha Patitanam Pabane Bhyo Vaishnavijo Namo Namaha This evening we've come to a place in the second cloud bank of nectar from Sri Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur's Madhurya Kadamani where we get to the uh, the beginning of the practice that is uh, bhakti yoga adav shraddha tata sadhu shraddha having some faith now as we explained the seed of bhakti is acquired from bhakti it's not coming from the jiva from his particular nature, the jiva, we're speaking of the jiva that has been conditioned since time immemorial and is enjoying in the Lord's external potency, his material energy. This seed of bhakti is, is not coming from that place, from that jivatma, nor from the Lord's external energy, his maya. Uh, material elements as manifest from his material conglomerate of energies coming from the various Vishnu manifestation, the Purusha avatars, Karna Dakshai Vishnu, lying down in that ocean, that Karna of, of the aggregate of all material energy and from him pouring forth our <coughs> universes into which these jivas are are situated perpetually coming and going breathing out coming back into him breathing out coming back in this bhakti this infusion of of a different nature of a consciousness based on on krishna's totally internal uh, swarup shakti there is some rare opportunity some good fortune is coming to the jivas through the agency of that internal potency, that swarup shakti, as manifest in the material world uh, through his pure devotees. Uh, Krishna also is coming to the material world. We hear, as he says in Bhagavad Gita, his purpose at that time is just to keep law and order. Whenever there is a predominance rise of irreligion, then at that time I advent myself. Yada yada hi dharmasya. When the dharma goes away, it's, it recedes to such an extent that uh, things are getting out of hand. I advent myself. Millennium after millennium, I come in a regulated way. Of course, I'm completely independent, but still, within the material world, there is this presentation of dharma or adharma and it's uh, it is the factor which governs the Lord's external potency this dharma he keep things, keeps things in order by by putting forth dharma in, into human society through his various manifestations and this his manifestations even as scripture the scriptures himself coming from his breath 
breathe a life of law and order within the universe so it is not complete chaos. And when it becomes chaotic, yada, yada, hi, dharma, sha. I invent myself. Put things back the way they should be. The jivas, they, uh, they have faults within the material world. Uh, and their faults lead to this predominance of irreligion. Four primary characteristics of that faultful nature. Their senses are imperfect. So whatever we perceive here is, is not the reality of things. Imperfect senses, well, without good senses, what you accept as reality is actually an illusion. Your senses aren't perfect, so therefore you're in, you're in illusion because your senses are not perfect. They are limited. They are limited by the material energy. You, the jiva, the soul within that, there is perfection there, but once you come in contact with this external potency, once we come in contact with that, then we perceive the world through these senses and the senses, the material senses, and the material energy itself is an external potency of the Lord. And it, it, there, is, there is the possibility, uh, there is the strong inclination to to misuse the senses in an exploitive way because there's what there's ignorance in the world so this is the beginning of the clashes and we talked about this last class these clashes ignorance is at the head leading chart leading the charge of our desires within the material world uh, leading the charge and following close behind their uh these other misconceptions, these desires, this false ego is coming behind avidya. And uh, Krishna within the material world, there's, there's this dharma. And, and he keeps things in order here through dharma. And his, his breathing, he breathes out this, these directives to maintain that dharma. And... Uh, we we refer to that his what he's giving as far as direction uh, is uh, shruti. So shruti coming directly from him, descending, descending knowledge, descending truth to dissipate ignorance, because in the material world everything is based on that based on that ignorance. Ignorance that comes from imperfect senses, imperfect senses leading to an illusion. When you're in illusion, you're certainly going to make mistakes. And in the material world, we have a tendency to want to enjoy. And that tendency to, to enjoy, it's a cheating. It's a cheating. We're not the supreme enjoyer. We're the supreme. We are the servant of the Supreme. But in the material world, we are feeling we're the enjoyer, so therefore we're, we're cheaters. We're, it's a world of cheated and cheaters. We're being cheated of what we really are, of, of, the, of, the, of the pleasures of our true self in, in selfless service. And uh, 
So we're being cheated out of that service by the ignorance that is the predominating factor of material existence. Bhakti is entirely different. After everything we hear in this this Shruti, Gita Upanishad, one of the Upanishads, coming directly from Krishna, he gives all the Dharma. Of course, in the beginning, Arjuna also had his Dharma. And he tried to argue his points of Scripture to support his desire not to, not to follow Krishna. And uh, valid points based on Scripture. That's the problem with with Dharmic scripture, there's always a difference of opinion. Because why? Because it takes a real sense of discrimination to know how to properly apply the scriptures according to the Dharma of time, place, and circumstance. Primarily the circumstance that the specific condition demands and the circumstance is always different there's so many factors it's confusing we see even when Krishna comes and enacts his pastime there appears to be a confusion over proper dharma according to particular circumstances what do we do with Asritama off with his head He's killed. Oh, but he's a he's he's a Brahmin. Well, what do we do? Drupadi, well, you can't kill a Brahmin. <clears throat> Arjuna, cut off his head. He just killed your sons. What? Krishna, yes, off with his head. Drupadi, no, 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 that's not Dharmic, it's a Brahmin. You can't do that. Son of a Brahmin. It's not proper. It's going to mess up society. Things are going to go haywire. So even Krishna comes, there appears to be confusion over the proper dharma. Now it's reconciled, but in the beginning there is certainly a back and forth, isn't there? There's Arjuna's opinion. Yudhisthira's there, his opinion. Krishna's giving his opinion. Dupati's giving her opinion. And finally, there is some reconciliation, and off with his top knot, and 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 that's good enough. That will insult him sufficiently. Strange, huh? Where's the dharma? Isn't that isn't it simple? <laughs> should be simple. He killed the children. He should be killed. No, not so simple. Other factors to be considered. Other factors, what? Factors because of, according to the nature of the individual, according to the time, according to the circumstance. So, this Dharma is there to, to keep things in order, but it's hard to keep things in order in a world that is nothing but chaos. And this is the world of chaos. Because conflicting desires will always be there in this world because what? Everything's revolving around I, me, mine. 
your I, me, mine, yours, yours, yours. Everybody's got a different I, me, mine. And there's going to be a continual conflict. How do we live in peace? This is not the world of peace. There is no peace here. You can have as many United Nations, you can have as much as you, you can do everything within your power to maintain peace. But the fact is, even Krishna himself sometimes demands war in this world as the only solution to arrive at a peaceful situation for some little teeny period of time. And then chaos comes back again. Yada, yada, idharmasya. Glanir bhavati bharata. I have to come again. Let's do it. Let's try it again. See if we can get it right again. But no, you can't get it right. So all these instructions in this preliminary science of religiosity between Krishna and Arjuna, how did it end? Give up this strife to attain dharma. It, it, you'll never get there. Sarva dharma parichaja. Just surrender unto me. I'll give you protection. That's that's there. You there's peace there, lasting peace. But it's not a peace that you that we can bring into this external energy of mine. This is the domain of my shakti. I'm Shakti Man, but I have Shaktis, and my Shaktis, they also have their day. And this is the place of their day. So you give up this Dharma. Give up this strife to attain pure Dharma, because it will never happen here. Why? I gotta even, even I'm God, and I have to come again and again. Krishna is saying, I have to come again and again to give you Dharma to try to establish dharma. And I do establish dharma, but it's not a lasting dharma. Because this place is not a lasting place. It's very interesting that we come now to this ending as the beginning of where devotional life can come into, the, into human society. Sarva dharmam parityasya, mamekam saranam vraja. Vraja, oh, a hidden word. Anyway, it's there. This is where the real peace is. Read between the lines. Give up all varieties of religion and just surrender unto me. I will protect you. I will give you real peace. In my place. My secret place. This is the most secret of all secrets, the purest knowledge. And because it gives direct perception of the self by realization, it is the perfection of religion. Not all these rules and regulations of Dharma trying to get everything to balance. There's no balance here because everyone is king. In a kingdom where everybody thinks that they are wearing the crown, there can never be a peace. 
This is only a world of strife. So here we begin. Shraddha. Shraddha, Shraddha. And this is, we've worked ourselves up to this point of Madhurya Kadambani where he's actually getting to the to the core of progressive devotional practice. The foundation upon which one takes to and advances in devotional life. Shraddha. This Shraddha is coming and it's coming causelessly because a seed has been planted. The seed is coming from association with those that have some faith, very strong faith. So there's an inclination, and that inclination is what we consider the Bhakti Lata Beach. And that inclination is coming by the grace of Krishna's devotees. Those devotees who are the are the dispensers of Krishna's Kripa Shakti. They're like the Johnny Appleseeds. They're traveling throughout this material world and they are dispensing Krishna Bhakti. The seeds are coming. The seed being that inclination to want to know and want to experience one's true spiritual nature without misconception because here is people that have no misconceptions they have the proper conception so faith also needs proper conception I want to touch on one thing before we get to this and that's in relationship to we've spoken of the causeless nature of bhakti it has no cause. It's nothing of this world. It's coming, it's descending through the association of the sadhus. What that bhakti is for the sadhaka is also causeless. They causelessly want to serve Krishna without any motivation. This is, this is pure devotional service. This Service to the Supreme without any ulterior motive. As I said before, very difficult for us to conceive of. And we may question, well, there's, isn't there an ulterior motive in the service itself that you speak of? Because we know it's coming in different... First, you want to serve. So we hear, we want to serve. The devotee is... the. The sadhu is telling us, you want to serve the Supreme without any motivation. Rupa's starting his instructions. This is pure devotional service. Wanting to serve Krishna favorably without any tinge of jnana or karma. No, no tinge. Yoga, yoga cities, no, nothing just wanting to serve causelessly. So when we speak of this aspiration to serve causelessly, is there, can there really be a service that isn't causeless? That's an interesting point. Can there really be 
a platform where there is no artha, no, no desire, no purush artha. Everything here comes with a desire. So how can the living entity come even un- uh, comprehend what is this devotional service to the Supreme that's causeless? There, there has to be a cause. Otherwise, why would you you'd have to why would you do it? But we're told it's causeless. So what's the nature of this causeless? Because the devotee wants what? He wants to serve the Supreme without any motivation. Because in that motivationless service, that is the purity that can allow him to really please the Supreme Lord and the Supreme Lord's devotees. And not only does he want to serve without any motivation, because that motivation he sees as a contamination, and he wants to purify himself of any contamination, which is a motivation. And then he wants to attain. He wants to attain Krishna. Well, that's, that's like an attainment. But why does he want to attain Krishna? Because he wants to serve him in such a way that he's completely satisfied. So that desire to attain, when, the, when we think of a desire from the pure devotee of wanting to attain Krishna, that's also not a material desire. It is a desire to attain him so that he can be served perfectly. We can serve Krishna if, if we, can, we can be with him. We can serve him more purely. To be in his presence means there is no contamination. Oh, I need to attain his presence so there is no contamination so my service is truly unmotivated. No desire on my part. But if you attain Krishna, you're automatically in, in bliss. So you say the pure devotees have no desire, but don't they desire that blissfulness that comes naturally just by being with Krishna? No. They have no they have no desire to enjoy it, but it is there naturally because that's the nature of Krishna. He's sweetness, incomparable sweetness. You can't be with him and not taste that sweetness. That is his nature. The Vraj Bhaktis, that these specific sweet characteristics that Krishna has and his association with those bhaktas, the sweetness of his form, the sweetness of his pastimes, the sweetness of his loving reciprocations and that sweetness of his flute are known to them alone who are on the highest platform. But it is simply his nature. He can, you, we cannot separate that from him. Do they desire that? They want to attain him, so they must want to attain him to attain the sweetness. No. It is coming naturally. It's important that we understand what is the nature of these characteristics, these three characteristics of the devotee wanting to serve the Lord, wanting to attain him, and the natural concomitant enjoyment they have in attaining his association. 
These also, when seen properly, are anyabila sita. Sunya, Janaka, they are they are purely motivated. They're natural characteristics of pure devotional service. It's difficult for the material perspective to wrap our minds around such a cons- concept of not having some objective in mind. But truly the bhakta has no objective in mind. And those Vraj Bhaktis, for Krishna's pleasure, there is no limit to what they will do. If Krishna has a headache and I need to go to hell to cure it by giving him the dust of my feet, here's the dust. Well, you may have to go to hell for forever. Who puts their dust, their foot dust, on God's head? What's the difference? I just want to please Krishna. There's no, there's nothing else. That is the characteristic of those purest of devotees. So in, it's, it's, it's an inconceivable characteristic of Raj Bhakti that these devotees are on the highest platform and even though when we read, when Krishna comes and manifests this Leela with these highest devotees. This Prakat, he comes and the common man can see this. Well, not really every common man, because not everybody, even if they see it, they don't know what they're seeing. Krishna walks into the arena and everybody's seeing something different according to their position. But we have a unique opportunity. We have Sadhu Sangha. With Sadhu Sangha, we can see through the eyes of Scripture as explained by the Sadhus according to our circumstance so that we can gain entrance into that highest nature of the Supreme Lord that nature of loving exchange with his most intimate associates and entering into just a hearing, a reception of those nectarine pastimes, we're purified entirely of all material inclination. So much so that when we look to the highest material inclination, lust, in its most base form, illicit sex life, when we hear of Krishna's illicit sex life, so-called, when we hear of that, that destroys our lust. That's how purifying it is. So even the lusty man can hear these pastimes and have the greatest benefit. A little discussion of Shraddha. Tonight's discussion will be based on Vishwanath, where he introduces Shraddha to his audience and an explanation of that Shraddha primarily based upon the Bhakti Sandarbha of Jiva Goswami. So Vishwanath says, 
This is in the, where are we, about the fourth or fifth verse into the second cloud bank. We started out with, what? This book is not a book that's going to explain the various tattvas of the Supreme. Don't look to that. I've written you another book for that purpose. And then he, he goes on from there to explain the unfolding of bhakti once that seed has been planted. Specifically, those two wonderful leaves coming on the bhakti creeper, Kleshagna and Subhada, wherein all material reactions and inclinations are completely eradicated in the beginning stage of sadhana bhakti. No other process of spiritual endeavor, the karmis, the jnanis, the yogis, cannot have this complete and absolute elimination of material inclinations based on ignorance and material reactions, which we call sinful reaction, based on the unlimited pool of desires, bore of separate interest. And then the auspicious characteristics, which even Lord Chaitanya himself says, I couldn't even begin. It's an ocean of subhada, greatness, which comes to the devotees because they become just like Krishna as, as they eliminate the material desires. They become his ornaments. His greatest ornaments are his devotees. This is the creeper now. Let's see what is the foundation upon which this temple for Krishna can be constructed within the heart of the sadhika. What is this firm foundation? And it starts with Rupa Goswami's explanation. First there has to be some faith. It starts there with faith. Vishwanath writes, first shraddha or faith appears in a person qualified for bhakti. What qualified him? Association. He was given that aspiration by Krishna's devotee. So the seed is given, and that's his qualification. He didn't make the seed. He doesn't even know. That's Actually, we talk about it as what? Some Sukriti. Ajnata Sukriti. We have no idea what good we did, but it wasn't anything that one would consider a, a good fortune according to our actions within this world of illusion. Nothing we did here created this. Person has been qualified. 
my spiritual master used to say that. He said, you have to understand devotional practice. He said, you should understand. I have made your... You, you didn't have qualification. I, I have given you qualification. Because you think, oh, I'm now a devotee. We're going to go through all those stages of psychological mumbo-jumbo we go through in clearing out the cobwebs. And Vishwanath's going to explain those to us in a while. But yeah, in the beginning we think, oh, yes, I'm, I, I am here. I have arrived. <laughs> here I am, the devotee. Yeah, the Prabhupada says, yes, yes. I have given you your qualification. Shraddha means to have firm faith in the purport of the scriptures related to bhakti, the bhakti shastras. Not all scriptures. Krishna says, actually, those dharma scriptures, the end of the Bhagavad Gita, yeah, we talked about so many things that man should do in the world of man, and this and that's right, what's wrong, and what's the mode of passion, what's the mode of ignorance, what's the mode of goodness, and what's actions in those modes, what's faith in those modes, what's sacrifice in those modes, this mode, that mode, everybody's got a mode. Not a pure mode, because all the modes are mixed, but anyway, you know, that's where Dharma comes in, we have to deal with the modes. Bhakti Shastras. In other words, the desire to attentively, attentively follow the process of devotion as described in the scriptures with enthusiasm is known as Shraddha. There are two types of Shraddha. One is spontaneous and the other arising forcibly. Some parallel there, isn't there? What else did we learn about one is arriving spontaneously and one is coming forcibly. Right. Raganuga Bhakti. Natural. A natural desire to serve the Supreme. And Vaiti Bhakti, the carrot and the stick. So here we're hearing, well, there's also that in Shraddha? Is that the same? What, what is what is what is what is Vishwanath telling us here? So we need to dive in and see. So the Shraddha. Two types of Shraddha, spontaneous and one arising forcibly. And there is the proper faith that's based on scripture that Vishwanath is speaking about, but there's also improper faith. So we're going to discuss that, and that's, that's coming from the Bhakti Sandharva. Jiva Goswami elaborates on Rupa's explanation in both his commentary to the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu and in his own book, the Bhakti Sandharva, and his commentary on that commentaries. We touched upon this faith. Without faith not, no, nobody can do anything really. You have to have faith. You have to have faith that even the food you're eating is going to nourish you. 
You have to have, there's nothing that we do within this world without faith. And Krishna points out to Arjuna in, in the Bhagavad Gita, on the 17th chapter. O Arjuna, sacrifice, charity, austerities, and other religious activities done without faith are said to be a sat, useless, because they are fruitless either in this world or the next. Krishna told Arjuna, anything that's not done with faith you take all these religious activities, all these activities, sacrifice, charity, austerities, any kind of activity. If a person doesn't have faith and they're just doing it without any confidence, without any, without any faith in the outcome and the procedure, it's a sut. It's not of any value whatsoever. It's a fool's religion. And we could give so many examples of fool's religions in this world where people really don't have faith in them, but they go along for the, sh for the ride. And, and Jiva Goswami touches upon that, and we're going to get to that here in a minute. Exactly what is that Shastriya faith that's coming from the sadhu and what's a qualification of the sadhu? The Madhyamadhikari. How does he convince us? How does he make the foundation of our, the temple we are trying to construct for bhakti firm? He explains the shastras. And what is the characteristic of his explanation? It obliterates the doubts that we may have. Shastriya shraddha. One kind of faith is there, and it's coming from person who is qualified, the sadhu who is qualified, and his qualifi one of his qualifications is he can explain the shastra in such a way we're convinced, we're convinced the doubts go away. Now, do you? And we can see in his, not only in his explanation, the logic of the explanation. Sometimes we're so foolish or so unintelligent that we can't even understand the depth of the logic that he's applying. But still, the nature of the deliverance and the confidence and what's coming from his pure heart is in itself conviction enough to dissipate any misgivings we can have. Maybe you experienced that. I don't really understand, but I have no doubt whatsoever that what the guru's saying to me right now is fully correct. So you even hear Guru Maharaj, he says sometimes that Bhakti Rakshak Sridhar Maharaj, after a class, he would have to explain to his god brothers what Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati was meaning when he was explaining the Shastra. He would further unfluff it. He would further unpack it so that his godbrothers could understand because they knew he had a deeper intelligence than they saw in themselves and they went to him. But they were fully convinced just by knowing this is coming from the lips of my guru.
even Krishna in Bhagavad Gita, he, he mentions that. He says, at a certain point, you know, Arjuna, we've gone through so many things, but what is the need for all this, with, for all this detailed knowledge? What's the need? With a single particle of my splendor, I support and maintain everything here. So much detailed knowledge. But it's there. The scriptures are there. When we are convinced by the scripture, then we engage enthusiastically in the process. The deeper our conviction, the more enthusiastic our, our service in pure devotion is. As long as there is some doubt, as long as there is some reluctance on our part, maybe, maybe it's, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, then there's some reluctance on our part to dive in fully. If you don't know the pond is completely deep, you're not going to jump off a cliff. Maybe there's rocks right under the surface. Once you've been completely convinced, then there's no question. I can jump from any height because it's unlimitedly deep. It's deeper than I'll ever hit the bottom. The conviction has to be there. And the conviction for devotional practice is based on Shastra. And what happens? It's just like somebody who's seeking gold. A prospector wanting to attain gold. He knows it's there, it's in them there mountains. And he's going to go for it. And he may go his whole life, but he knows there's a chance I'm going to find it. So he's out there picking away day in and day out, month in and month out, year in and year out, because he knows there's gold somewhere in them there mountains. The devotee knows there is. There is available to me the absolute perfection of this endeavor. It will purify my heart. My guru says, if I do this, I will become pure. So I will do it as long as it takes. Firm conviction in that. Now, in the next verse, Vishwanath will give some details as to what is that guru, what is the qualifications of that guru who has the level of confidence, mastery of the Shastra, and depth of personal realization that assures the sadhika that this is where I should put my faith in the words of this guru. He, could, he is delivering. The nourishment is fully there in what's coming from his lips. The depth of this faith determines the qualification of a devotee. So we, we judge a devotee's position based on the depth of the faith. Weak faith, Kamala faith, we call that Kamala. That weak faith, that's the Kanista Adhikari. He still has doubts. He's still not fully sure. It's like he runs hot and he runs cold. And the Madhyamadhikari, he's fully, 
fully confident, but he may not be fully adept at explaining his confidence in such a way that he can turn others. The Uttama Adhikari, he has, he's completely situated in such a way that when he comes to the Madhyam platform, because as an Uttama, the, the discrimination that's required to preach, he really is beyond that discrimination. So he has to come down to the Madhyam platform to preach. But his faith, his faith is, is the firmest. And it's fully support. He can support everything that he says. So we judge devotional advancement according to Shraddha. I'm not going to be able to get much further than that because our next thing is to see the... I want to dive into the correlation between faith and surrender. They are tied closely together. Saranagati. Those six items of surrender and the foundational faith upon which we advance in devotional practice our practice, our, well, in Jiva's opinion, Shraddha, this is in Bhakti Sandarbha, 173, Jiva Goswami, Shraddha and Saranagati, surrender, are understood to have the same purport. I wanted to get a little further this evening, but hey, boy, we have many evenings together here, so we'll go deeper into finishing up faith, understanding how closely they are. As Jiva says, they have the same purport, faith and shraddha. And we'll look at, look at the distinction between shastriya shraddha and what is referred to as laukiki shraddha, popular belief. I'll leave you with a Thing to something to meditate on when it comes to popular belief so that when we come back to this you'll have a, some frame of reference that you've thought about. Forced faith or popular faith is not the result of such mercy and association of the saints. It's not Shastric. It's not based on what the sadhu is giving us out of the Shastra but is attained by hearsay, copying from others, and is knowledge that comes down in a succession of popular belief. So that's called Laukiki Shraddha as opposed to Shastriya. And you even find in some Gaudiya practice, sometimes in the beginning stages, we see that what is based properly can, for neophytes, be turned into a popular religion. And, and that's why a lot of the sadhus and saints coming in our disciplic succession, they were not very much keen for large institutional presentations and large institutional. But they still wanted to spread Lord Chaitanya's movement. It's a fine line, a very fine line. 
and uh, not to criticize any any group or uh, make some distinctions, but but we as individuals need to see that fine line so that we don't make mistakes in in presenting Krishna consciousness in such a way that the purity, that that shastric purity that's required to build a firm foundation so that people can be nourished and advance spiritually. We don't want to, to simply present an outward show which isn't based on a pure heart. So it requires going in and cleaning there and also making sure that when we do do outreach, we do that outreach in such a way that it's we maintain the integrity of the Guru Parampara which nourished us in our devotional practice. So I'll stop there. Are there any questions? Thank you so very much. Hare Krishna.